Okay, so... So I'd like to talk this afternoon a little bit more about the discourse, uh, the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, and uh, as, I, as I mentioned, it was um, given at a particular place, at a particular time, which is always mentioned in the discourse. And this, is, um, this was given um, at, in a place called the Eastern Park, which is a large park just outside Savati, which is um, modern-day north-central India. And, um, and it was a gathering that, <clears throat> that happened during the rains. The rains last for about three months, the monsoons in, um, in India. And, um, and, and early on in his teaching, the Buddha uh, realized that um, the farmers were all tending their fields, and and the and the fields are very are very vulnerable when um, during the rains. Uh, you don't want to walk on them. You have to be really careful. And so uh, he didn't want the monks, you know, traipsing around uh, on the fields and and uh, interfering with the farmers' crops. And and so uh, he he instructed them all to come together during the rains uh, for three months to retreat. And even today, we still have a tradition of uh, three-month retreats. And, um, but on this particular time, um, the Buddha said that, well, he, there was a description about how monks and nuns were gathered and, um, and there were senior monks and nuns teaching groups of those more junior in, scro- in small groups of 10, 20, 30, or 40, I can kind of think, oh, this is kind of like what's going on right here. You know, we're just gathered together in a group and, and uh, you know, sharing instructions and reflecting on the teaching together and practicing together. And, and everything was going so well, and everybody was so diligent. And, uh, and the Buddha said, you know what, things are, like... You're all practicing so diligently and and um, uh, so focused. I'm going to stay an extra month, and um, and so so he did. And and the word got out on the countryside. So more more monks and nuns came to the teachings. And um, and at the end of the fourth month, on the day of the full moon, he gave this teaching on the mindfulness of breathing. And um, and so it was. Uh, it was a very special occasion. So the heart of the discourse, as I mentioned earlier, are sixteen verses on the practice of anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, and they're divi- divided into four tetrads of four stanzas each, so, so f- four sections of four. Um, I've also mentioned that only the first two verses, breathing in, I know that I'm uh, breathing in long, I know I'm breathing in long, um, breathing out long, I know I'm breathing out long, and so on, really noticing the, the quality of the breath, the texture of the breath, the um, 
the depth of the breath. Only these two first verses focus on primarily on the, the breath itself as the primary object of meditation. <clears throat> and and as we um, as we move through the sorry I'm I'm trying to take care of my throat, so excuse me for having a cough drop in my mouth. I hope it's not distracting. Um, as we as we feel the breath, and we pay attention to the breath, we're mindful of the breath. So just really bringing that interest and curiosity, um, care to the breath, like feeling each breath as if that's the first breath. Um, that helps us to collect the mind and helps us to become calm. And then, and then the instruction is to feel the breath in the body. So to feel not only the breath, but to feel the whole body. Sensitive to the whole body, I breathe in. Sensitive to the whole body, I breathe out. So we're following the breath into the body, and, and then we're keeping our attention in the body and exploring in the body. And perhaps some of you have done practices such as body scans, um, in which you bring your attention into the body and you notice that there are many, many different sensations. That the body is just alive with so many sensations, and, and that they are changing, changing, changing all the time, moment by moment, micro-moment by micro-moment. And, um, and we come to, to experience the body as a kind of, um, it's an energetic field. It's not, something, it's not something that's solid and static. It's something that's really alive and uh, vibrant and, and dynamic and changing. And so by, by bringing this sense of presence and awareness in the body, it has the effect of calming the body. So it, we're calming the mind, calming the body. But in particular, right now, the teaching is focusing on the body. And so if we're holding, whatever we're holding in the body, uh, we may be holding anxiety, we may be holding anger, we may be holding doubt or um, uh, self-judgment, uh, we may be holding wanting, longing, grasping. All of these are ways that the, the energetic field of the body um, kind of contracts and uh, and uh, and we find as we as our attention moves into the body that there are places that we that are have more density more uh, seem to just uh, be almost sometimes almost like a black hole where where the um, the energy just seems to be 
somehow caught. Um, and, and just bringing that sensitivity, that mindfulness, that awareness, slowly, gently, gradually, um, these, these places of holding, these places of contraction, these places where we actually hold suffering in the body, um, release, open, and, uh, and the, um, the body becomes more calm, more, uh, more subtle. And so that's the process that's, that's being talked about in this, um, in this first uh, tetrad on the body. Um, and as I mentioned before after the first two verses about knowing that I'm breathing and knowing the quality of the breath the breath is no longer the primary object so so in this as we move into the more awareness of the body the, the field of the whole body um where where the the our attention is moving through the body, you know. So in some practices, the, the uh, meditator is taught to move their attention very systematically through the body. Um, so from the toes, you know, moving up like in very very kind of tiny little almost slices, moving up through the um, the legs and the torso and. Uh, to the top of the head and then back down, sweeping awareness up and down through the body. And that can be a, just a really powerful practice to, to, to do that because we really notice those places where the energy uh, is, is tight, is caught. Um, and another way to do it is just to, to have a, a holistic sense of the body and be present. And, and then it's like uh, places where we're holding just kind of come into our awareness just like a thought might arise in the same way in the body uh, an, an awareness that there's a, a place of tightness or holding or, or pain <coughs> can arise and so, and so we, can, we can breathe into it in that case <clears throat> Um, one of the um, one of the teachers that uh, I I worked with as I was preparing this um, this retreat on the Anapanasati Sutta is uh, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, who was um, a great Thai forest monk uh, in the the twentieth century. He was probably the greatest Thai master of that time. And he taught many of our Western teachers. Um, and so many of the, the monks and nuns that we, we encounter in, in North America were students of um, Buddhadasa Bhikkhu. He has a wonderful way of teaching uh, that I think is wonderful, in which he talks about... Um, that really uh, what we're studying when we're studying the Dharma um, is, and we're, when we're practicing the Dharma, is, is we're, we're learning about life. And he didn't 
kind of make this big separation between all of nature uh, and, and, and the Dharma. And he said, the Dharma is about nature. And he said, we are nature. We are nature. And, um, and, he, and, he, and he talked about, you know, if you've ever, uh, if you have all, any familiarity with, with Indian culture, they <coughs> um, often use the word duty. Like there's a sense of, uh, you know, duty or responsibility. I think it's a very beautiful idea, uh, and it's not one that's very kind of popular in our culture to talk about, it's my duty. Um, but um, uh, I think it's, you know, it's beautiful that this is our responsibility. And he said, the development of the Dharma is our duty. So what is the development of the Dharma? Uh, and the way he put it was uh, to prevent that which is to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life so so if we see something is harmful to life um, you know such as violence um, dishonesty exploitation so to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life you know selfishness you know only thinking of our own benefit uh, what's good for us and not thinking of what's good for others so that's number one number two is to eradicate heal and transform that which has already risen which is harmful to life so sometimes you know, we don't see things that are arising. And first of all, of course, we're looking within ourselves. You know, so is violence, is, is greed, is selfishness arising within ourselves? Oh, and we recognize, oh, that's harmful to life. It's harmful to myself. It's harmful to others. So let it go. And then, but sometimes it's already arisen. So then, so then our duty is to to either heal or transform or let it go, eradicate it. And then the third duty is to bring into being that which is useful and beneficial to life. So, first of all, within ourselves. Kindness, generosity, uh, patience, compassion. These are useful and beneficial to life and and to maintain and preserve beneficial elements so that they grow further so that we when we see oh that was a generous thought that was a generous action oh I was I was patient um, with that person and I didn't I didn't get reactive and impatient or or uh, I really you know I gave my time and listen to somebody who was suffering. So to acknowledge that, to see the goodness of that within ourselves, and to foster that, to to uh, um, to to take joy in it, to take uh, to take pleasure in it, that that these beautiful qualities are arising within us, and to um, to foster them. And so, so these are, these are called 
the four right efforts. And it's the way Buddhadasa put them, uh, which was kind of unique, that, that this has to do with nature and life. And, and so, um, and so he, you know, he, he says that um, uh, the, the tools to develop life, the tools to, to um, develop nature are mindfulness, wisdom, clear comprehension or wisdom in action, and mental stability. Mindfulness, wisdom, clear comprehension, or wisdom in action, and mental stability, or concentration. And so Anapanasati helps us to develop all of these um, by bringing our mindful investigation to all of the, all of reality, all everything that we can experience. Uh, we bring our mindful investigation to it, and um, and so in that way we're developing wisdom and mindfulness and uh, and mental stability. So I'd like to read the whole sixteen verses, and I the way I I think about this is that it's a map. This is a map of practice. And um, in in teaching on this this discourse, um, Buddhadasa really encourages that we go through it, you know, step by step. But he also says that some people might not feel they have time to do that um, or you know have the, the the opportunity to do that so he said first really focus on if you if you don't have time you don't have the opportunity feel you don't have the opportunity in your life to go through all of these and bring them to kind of a completion a stage of or fullness uh, high development <clears throat> Really focus on the first one, the body group. So, and then, and then um, focus on the fourth, the wisdom group. And um, and Thich Nhat Hanh, who also has written extensively on the Anapanasati, has a, a more flexible approach. And he says, well, we might, you might, you might work on, you know, one for a while, and then another for a while and you know you might find yourself in just in different places on this terrain and so having a map you know, it kind of helps us to understand where we are so it's it's repetitious it's repetitious in the way that it's um, formulated because it comes from the oral tradition so uh, so I'll just read it through the meditator, having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree, or to an empty building, sits down with legs folded crosswise, body held erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. Always mindful, one breathes in. Mindful, one breathes out. While breathing in long, one knows, I am breathing in long. Or breathing out long, one knows, I am breathing out long. While breathing in short, one knows, 
I'm breathing in short, or breathing out short, one knows I am breathing out short. One trains oneself, sensitive to the whole body I breathe in. One trains oneself, sensitive to the whole body I breathe out. One trains oneself, calming the whole body I breathed in, I breathe in. One trains oneself, calming the whole body I breathe out. Next is the second tetrad, the feelings group. One trains oneself, sensitive to rapture, I breathe in. One trains oneself, sensitive to rapture, I breathe out. One trains oneself, sensitive to happiness, I breathe in. One trains oneself, sensitive to happiness, I breathe out. (coughs) One One trains oneself, Sensitive to mental processes, I breathe in. One trains oneself. Sensitive to mental processes, I breathe out. One trains oneself. Calming mental processes, I breathe in. One trains oneself. Calming mental processes, I breathe out. The third tetrad is the mind group. One trains oneself. Sensitive to the mind, I breathe in. One trains oneself. Sensitive to the mind, I breathe out. One trains oneself. Gladdening the mind, I breathe in. One trains oneself. (coughs) Gladdening the mind, I breathe out. One trains oneself. Steadying the mind, I breathe in. One trains oneself. Steadying the mind, I breathe out. One trains oneself, liberating the mind, I breathe in. One trains oneself, liberating the mind, I breathe out. One trains oneself, focusing on impermanence, I breathe in. Oh, sorry, so this next section is the wisdom group. And so this is the the group that Buddhadasa said, you know, if if you're going to focus on um, if you're not going to kind of move through it, just really focus on this group, and then with every experience, body and mind, um, bring this this training to bear. So this is the wisdom group. One trains oneself focusing on impermanence, I breathe in. One trains oneself focusing on impermanence, I breathe out. One trains oneself focusing on fading away, I breathe in. One trains oneself focusing on fading away. I breathe out. One trains oneself focusing on sensation, focusing on sensation, cessation, not sensation, cessation. I breathe in. One trains oneself focusing on cessation. I breathe out. And one trains oneself focusing on relinquishment. I breathe in. One trains oneself focusing on relinquishment, I breathe out. This is how mindfulness of in and out breathing is developed and pursued so as to be of great fruit, of great benefit. So each of these words that are used in this discourse have a specific meaning in terms of the development of the mind. I'm going to talk about them a bit more over the course of the next few days that we're together. So, 
I'm going to just take a few more minutes to talk about the feelings in general, uh, the second tetrad, the feeling screen. So when the Buddha talks about feelings, uh, the Buddha gives a lot of importance to, um, to being mindful of feelings. And when, when he's talking about feelings, when we, when we use the word feelings, the Pali word is vedana, and it has a particular meaning, a very a more technical meaning than when we say, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling fine, I'm feeling good. Um, feelings in, in the uh, kind of the technology of, of uh, awakening, uh, Buddhist awakening, is that we find, we find certain things pleasant, uh, we find certain sensory experiences pleasant, we find certain sensory experiences unpleasant, and we find other sensory experiences kind of neutral. They're not particularly pleasant or unpleasant. So, you know, you could take an example of the um, uh, the lunch, you know, any, anything in the lunch. You know, so, so maybe you found the lentil stew to be really pleasant. Maybe, you, you know, you tasted it. And you really thought found it pleasant, and maybe, maybe lentils gives you gas, and you know, and you saw lentils and kind of had an unpleasant reaction to all oh, lentils. No, I can't, I can't digest these very well. So it, so our, our. So feelings are not intrinsic to the object itself. Lentil stew is just the lentil stew, and dependent on your conditioning you might find it pleasant or unpleasant or kind of neutral you know eh, it's okay you know, I can eat it it's, it's, it's uh... so and every sensory experience that we that we have is accompanied by pleasant and unpleasant and and neutral feelings vedna feeling tone we can we can say use the word feeling tone which makes it a little bit more Distinct, and um, and so uh, what happens is that you know the feelings come and they're 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 not in our control. You know we don't control what we find pleasant or unpleasant or or neutral. It just this is how we experience it. And um, but then what happens is that when something's pleasant, uh, we tend to. You know, kind of grasp it, like a, ooh, chocolate quinoa cake. Uh, so, yum. Uh, and so, you know, so we want it. We want it. And uh, so there's there's grasping. Uh, there's nothing wrong with liking food. Um, it's it's the it's the kind of that driven quality, you know, when we when we want something, we want more, we want it again, and it 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 can take us over, the, the kind of the drivenness around wanting, or not wanting, when we find something unpleasant. So we can't avoid everything that we find unpleasant. We um, you know, life dishes out lots of unpleasant experiences. Um, 
illness, aging, loss, separation from those we love, uh, needing to do all kinds of things that we don't enjoy doing. So, um, <coughs> so there's lots of unpleasant experiences that, that we can't avoid. And uh, we can't even necessarily avoid finding them unpleasant. But we can avoid the struggle that comes with resisting and, and trying to, to push away and trying to get rid of the experience. Um, and neutral experiences, you know, we tend to just ignore. And there's a lot of neutral experiences which when we become mindful of them can actually be rather enjoyable. You know, the simple, very simple things like uh, just looking at a tree or, um, or feeling the breeze on your skin. Um, <clears throat> and then there are also spiritual, pleasant, unpleasant, and, um, and neutral experiences. And, um, and so <clears throat> these experiences that are named in, um, in the, these next two verses about sensitive to rapture, I breathe in, and, and sensitive to happiness, I breathe in, and so on, these, these come from the kind of the working through of these, um, the first group of body experiences. So as, as the mind becomes, as, as we, as we uh, begin to be more mindful of the whole body, sensitive to the whole body, and uh, calming, the body through a, a mindfulness of breathing. There is a kind of um, an energy that arises. Uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's this feeling of aliveness. Um, and and it's, it's called pity uh, or rapture. It's, uh, it's translated as rapture. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a kind of a, almost an aroused feeling, you feel very alive, you feel kind of energized, um, and, um, uh, and it can even, if it gets very strong, it can even be a little bit unpleasant, um, uh, but, but it, it can also be very energizing. And then, you know, as, as we're present with that, um, it, it kind of mellows out into happiness, into just a, a kind of a, a serenity, a, a contentment um, that is, uh, is, is, is more smooth and just lovely. And, and the rest of that, that verse is, you know, so sensitive to mental processes and... Um, and so all of these feeling experiences, feeling, the arising of wanting, the arising of, of not wanting, so, so we're in breathing in and breathing out, in, in the, working with this whole feeling group, we're simply knowing, you know, anchored in the breath, tethered to the present moment, 
by this very light connection with the breath. Buddhadasa talks about it being feather light. It's a very, very kind of it's almost in it's it's in the background like you know, I when I was when I was thinking about it, it I had this um memory of a um a poem by Rumi. I think I might have written it. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as fish out of water hear the waves or a hunting falcon hears the drums come back, come back. This turning to what you deeply love saves you. So that just that kind of distant drumbeat that the falcon just is always hearing as it's going out and soaring and and hunting, and then, then the the falconer's drumbeat is summoning the falcon back, and so we're we have that kind of drumbeat of the breath, that that rhythmic quality of the breath, just bringing us back again and again to this moment. And the mind wanders off, and then, oh yes, the breath. I feel the breath come back, and and as I come back and feel the breath. Let me tune in to what, what is being felt. What feelings are present in this moment? Is there something unpleasant that I'm feeling angry about or feeling um, uh, unhappy about in some way? Um, is there something I'm wanting? Is there a feeling of peace and contentment? Sukha, the happiness. So, sensitive to mental processes, I breathe in, and then calming mental processes, I breathe out. And so the calming has to do with just giving that space, that space of awareness, that space of mindfulness, to be known, to be felt. It's not that we need to to say, uh, so... There's anger here, and I need I need to calm this anger. Like, okay, you know, this is bad. Anger's bad. I shouldn't be angry. It's not. I'm not being a good Buddhist if I'm angry. You know, it's it's it's, it's simply giving that space of awareness, that mindfulness, connecting to the breath, knowing the anger in the body, knowing the angry thoughts that are coming, hearing the angry speech in your mind, calming, just letting it be, and it it calms itself. And so, so, I'm, in, in that description about about how we work with feelings. As, as Buddha Dasa said, I am jumping ahead to the wisdom group of teachings. So focusing on impermanence, I breathe in. So I'm, I'm just seeing how when, as I'm present with anger in the moment, breathing in, breathing out, knowing the feelings, 
knowing the mental processes. It arises, it fades away. And uh, I don't need to do anything. It follows its own nature. And it's the nature of everything to arise and to pass away. So this continuity of mindfulness of breathing, you know, like we we bring our lives with us in on, on to, in retreat. Like all of us have lives which are full of so much, um, you know, there are issues that we're working with, relationships, difficult relationships, so things that we may think about as problems. Um, challenges so so we're on retreat but they're they're here with us right you know it's uh, and and so they're going to come into our minds you know, it's, it's it may be it may you know this is a short retreat so it's not like the mind can get so quiet that we're just really really it's probably unusual if it's if that's your experience, then that's wonderful. Um, for most people, I think it would be, we're still thinking about things in our lives or thinking about ourselves or things that we, we feel that we need to work with in ourselves. And, um, and so, so just with this mindfulness of breathing, as, as, as thoughts come up, as feelings come up, just be aware of them and stay connected to the breath and give them space to be felt. You don't need to fix them. You don't need to um, find a solution or make them go away. Um, Just take this time on retreat to uh, allow them to be felt and to, to, to experience the space that we have around around all of our thoughts and feelings. And so, and we always have this home to come back to, the home in the breath, the home in the body. So let's just sit for a few breaths.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.